This episode of Edge of Sports is brought to you by Harry's Razors. I use Harry's Razors, and they make my always stubbly face super smooth. And Harry's will give you $5 off your first order by just entering the promo code EDGE. Go to harrys.com right now. Support Harry's, and you support Edge of Sports. And brought to you by FreshBooks. For freelancers and small business owners, FreshBooks takes the pain out of accounting. Have a question about the service? A real live human will answer every call in about three rings. Get your 30-day free trial by going to freshbooks.com edge and entering the code word edge. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. We are in formation this week in the direct aftermath of Super Bowl 50. We are talking to you about the biggest stories to come out of the big game, and none of them have to do with the game itself, where the Denver Broncos beat the Carolina Panthers 24-10. to What we are going to be talking about instead is the fallout that's fallen on the shoulders of Cam Newton and the ways in which Beyonce stole the halftime show with her new song Formation, background dancers in black berets, tribute to the Black Panthers. It was a remarkable, remarkable display, made even more galactic by the fact that it happened at the Super Bowl halftime show in the Bay Area. And I could not imagine two better people to discuss these issues with. First and foremost, to talk about Cam Newton and where he goes from here, we have Dominic Foxworth. Dominic Foxworth played in the National Football League for seven years. He's the former head of the NFL Players Association. And Dominic Foxworth has written some brilliant columns in USA Today. And his last column was all about Cam Newton, and we're going to speak with him about that. We are also going to speak with Dr. Brittany Cooper, otherwise known as Professor Crunk. Brittany Cooper is the most astute Beyonce watcher. I know, and we're going to speak with Dr. Cooper about all things formation. So the story of this is that I had been on Melissa Harris Perry's show talking about the election. I, so I did the show, came home, took a long nap, woke up, and my thread was <laughs> ablaze, and people were saying, Beyonce, and I was like, oh my God, what is happening? So I start playing it, and as soon as she was like, my daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana, you mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama, You know, Daddy Alabama, Mama Louisiana, that makes me a Texas Bama. I just started screaming. I am from Louisiana and I have lots of family members who live in Texas. And so I was like, this girl is a girl after my own heart. This is my my Gulf South, Deep South, Black girl narrative. She's putting it front and center in this song. So what is happening? You know, so I just, was exultant throughout the entire thing because I I was shocked that she was so political. I loved how ratchet she was, how unapologetically Southern and Black she was. I was just blown away. And I was like, I got to get to the end because I need to run it back and watch it again. Our first guest is a former NFL player, former NFL PA president, and one of the sharpest knives in any box he happens to be in, Dominique Foxworth. Cam Newton. One of the things, ways you described him, other folks have used this phrase too, is unapologetically black. And I wanted to ask you, Dominique Foxworth, what does that mean to you to be unapologetically black? It brings to mind the concept of double consciousness. And it's a, it's, from the mind of W.E.B. Du Bois, the idea that you have to behave a certain way amongst certain people. Like, you can't be your full self, and it's a 
something that I think a lot of black people particularly struggle with is as you are looking for success in a culture that's obviously very white, you have to kind of shed some of the things about your own culture that make others uncomfortable or that they don't understand or they don't appreciate. You have to shed those things if it's the way you talk, the way you dress, the things you value, the things you find important, the music you listen to, a lot of things that are important to you that have been ingrained in your culture you have to shed in order to fit in and and succeed in uh, white America, frankly. And it's just always kind of how it's been. And to see someone in this case, he's not the only person, but right now Cam Newton was the guy who kind of doing what he wanted to do, and and he was doing it in a way that he wanted to do it. And he seemed very comfortable with who he was, and it it really made me proud because it's so much easier to, frankly, just conform and do the fake thing. And I mean, many quarterbacks do it, black, white, or whatever. They kind of give you that that cliche nonsense after the game. They're not their selves and they try to bottle their excitement and their anger and and they're looking to package themselves in a way that's palatable to the culture, palatable to the league, to the team owners, to marketing opportunities. And and I just got the sense that Cam was like, no, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be me. And that, and that makes me proud as someone who's experienced that as an athlete and experienced that in business school, experienced that in all of my life experience, feeling like I had to like suppress parts of who I am, like when I'm out at certain places in order to like make everybody else feel comfortable. Like it's part my insecurity. I'm willing to completely admit that, but it's certainly influenced by the culture that we live in where I feel like I have to be extra smiley if I'm like Mm -hmm. walking around Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, it's just like, I need to make sure like, no, I'm, uh, I'm not threatening, relax. And maybe no one's thinking that, but my assumption is when I'm walking around, wherever in my hoodie or whatever people's assumption is that they may not be completely safe so i'm like the guy who's always super smiley and then it just kind of builds up a bit of annoyance and resentment that you feel like you have to do that so can if cam wins this game in spectacular fashion it, it, it is almost like a, a vindication of this idea that one does not need double consciousness, that one can be themselves and still find the road to success. Cam, of course, did not win this game. Do you think going forward he is going to be limited or is he's going to be asked to be limited just because of the results of one damn game? Nah, I mean, I think he's already gone through much of his life people asking him to be limited. And I think I'd, I'd read somewhere that many schools didn't want him to play quarterback. Yeah. And like that's, that that's wild. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Tim defiance, Tebow. There, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that <laughs> defiant streak is like also what's made him successful because he's like, all right, no, you don't want to play quarterback. I'll find somewhere where people want me to play quarterback and I don't need you. I'm going to do it my way. And, Sometimes that comes off in a way that people are uncomfortable with, but it's also what what's made him really talented. And I, I mean, it's probably true about all of us that like the thing that is best about us is also the thing that is kind of really frustrating to the people who uh, who love us. So it's just the idea that people are always calling into question players' class <laughs> as mm-hmm. it relates to football is confusing to me because like football is a uh, violent game where guys are trying to hurt each other essentially 
And then we're like, oh, but he danced. That's no class. Somebody's trying to take his head off, and his teammates are trying to take off other people's heads. Like, it's a violent, violent game where people get knocked out and severely hurt, and we're concerned about how classy someone handles scoring a touchdown or how uh, reticent they are during a post-game press conference as if it speaks to the level of class that a person has. Like, it's, it's football, so I, it kind of frustrates me when people try to like superimpose their normal life sensibilities onto sports. You certainly uh, just uh, pointed at something that I got to ask you, your your response to the press conference, the press conference that somehow has people clutching the pearls and reaching for the fainting couch and grabbing the smelling salts. But what what was your immediate response when you heard about or saw the post-game presser? (laughs) <laughs> I think I was like a, a eye roll and like, here we go. Cause I was <laughs> <laughs> like, he's going to get it now. Kind anticipating of what was coming, but he's a smart guy. He's not dumb. He knew that this was going to happen if he did it and he didn't care and he did it anyway. So it's still about like being unapologetically himself <laughs> in that situation. Like he's never been one who handled losing well. And that's not a muscle that he's used to exercising. And I don't think that he's looking to get used to exercising it. And the idea that this is like a big theme, like it, it speaks to me of people's preconceived feelings. Like you already don't like Cam Newton. So <laughs> you're just waiting for an opportunity to jump on Cam Newton. And it's disappointing. And I, I mean, I guess I could be guilty of that also. Like I am a Cam Newton supporter. So like I am <laughs> predisposed to want to defend him. But I guess I just feel comfortable and confident in taking the position of empathy at all turns. So none of us are are perfect. And let's save our anger for things that really deserve anger. (laughs) Seriously. And and I, I mean, I was told a number of times when I was a kid, like, if you find yourself in a bad situation or you think you're not going to do, you're going to be close to doing or saying something you're not happy with, you leave. So I think Cam probably made the best decision for Cam and for the rest of us right then, because who knows what could have been coming afterwards. Speaking of unapologetic blackness, I got to ask your impressions of Beyonce, halftime performance, Black Berets, <laughs> X Formation. I mean, this is the, yeah. the Super Bowl. This is, you know, Bono with the red, white, and blue jumpsuit and Bruce yeah. Springsteen. And, and then you had uh, Beyonce being Queen B. What was right. your uh, reaction? What was the reaction in your home to what she brought to the table? <laughs> Respect. <laughs> I mean, it's a gutsy move. And it, I mean, frankly, uh, in this business school seeping in again, it's masterful marketing move like this whole weekend from her dropping a video to the Super Bowl kind of controversy and I think uh, announcing a tour around that time like I feel like between her and and Jay they've they are one of the uh, or two of the few people who've kind of figured out how not to get robbed by the current state of music and I I mean as far as the uh, unapologetic blackness I was impressed with it it's a decision that she didn't have to make and anytime I mean she's She's not quite John Carlos and Tommy Smith, but anytime you use your platform to say something that's important to you, when you have such a big platform and she chose to make a statement that drew letters from congressmen, I think Peter King from New York wrote like something about his disapproval and you just kind of take a side in a way that you don't have to. Like I, I respect it. And even when it's not something that I necessarily believe in, I respect anytime people are willing to take that chance and 
expend some of their social capital on a cause and I don't begrudge them if if it also happens to benefit them financially good for them yeah and if if Rudolph Giuliani's mad at you you're doing something very right (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah I mean one of the crazy things is like a number of people wrote to me on Twitter you wouldn't have liked it so much if if somebody referenced the KKK god of course I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and I don't think that they're comparable in any way. Like the Black Panthers definitely were like black nationalists and had some radical beliefs and even did some radical things. But by and large, it was a re- reaction to social injustice. And they like did breakfast programs for kids. Like the Black Panthers and the KKK, KKK was born of disappointed Confederate generals. And like they're, I guess, like, the purpose of the Black Panthers was to kind of improve police treatment and life of a group of people, whereas the purpose of the KKK was the exact opposite. Like, if your goal is to ruin other people's opportunity at advancement, so I don't know. I guess I don't need to waste your time with that, but it, it it was surprising to me how so many people, like, several people on Twitter today tried to make that parallel as if I was gonna say, like, oh, you got me. <laughs> like, of course I would, and no one would, and you should. People were saying like it's it would it wouldn't have gone over as well if it was a white person, and I mean I agree, and it probably shouldn't. It shouldn't. There's, there's, there's context in life. Like the idea of being subjugated allows you very few privileges, but one of those privileges is you could freely say the N word. I don't know if I can say it on your show or not. So I will say I whatever you like. In, say whatever you like on this show. I, I want to put you in that position. And you can reference the Black Panthers at the Super Bowl, and and that's that's about where it ends. So yeah, and and, com- and comparing the Panthers to KKK, it's like comparing Adolf Hitler to Richard Pryor because they both had mustaches. <laughs> and it's like, ah, you wouldn't like that mustache if it was on Hitler. It's like, uh, you're right, because he's Hitler. I wish I would have came up with that one earlier. Hey man, that one's that's a freebie for you right there from me. Sure. Hey. Dominique Voxer, there was so much others. I hope we can do another interview again. I'd love to talk to you about your writings about concussion, about uh, working with the NFLPA, so about experience at Harvard Business School, being born in England. So please, can we do this again sometime? I would hope so. Excellent. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Dave. Big shout out to Harry's Razors for being the first ever sponsor of this show. When we started this show, I said to my producers from Jump that I know we need ads to survive, but I'm not taking any unless the product is something I'd use myself and isn't run by Dick Cheney. That's the fact with Harry's razors. I love these razors. They've turned my face from a bed of thorns into the inside of a fleece sweatshirt. And believe me, everyone in my life is glad I no longer look like the Unabomber if I even go one day without shaving. Go to harrysrazors.com, and for just $15, you get a razor, the best shaving cream I've ever used, and three razor blades. That's one half off drugstore prices, and they get sent straight to your door. And just for Edge of Sports listeners, guess what? Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code EDGE. Stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code EDGE at checkout. Support Harry's Razors and you're supporting the Edge of Sports podcast. Our next guest is known in some circles as Professor Crunk. 
She teaches women's and gender studies and Africana studies at Rutgers University. Her forthcoming book, Race Women, Gender and the Making of a Black Public Intellectual Tradition, is coming out soon. And there is no one I would rather talk Beyonce in formation with. Her name is Dr. Brittany Cooper. Your reaction to Beyonce's halftime show performance at the Super Bowl. Yeah, so I was so hyped. You know, this is, I mean, it's like black girl magic. It was <laughs> all the things. It was just unapologetic blackness. I mean, the dancing is always superb with her, despite that one moment where she seemed to have fallen, you know, but recovered really gracefully. Mm. So I was like on the edge of my seat, just like wondering what was she going to do next? And also wondering, like so many folks, was she really going to take it all the way there and do this do formation and do this unapologetic black thing. And she did not disappoint. It was awesome. So you felt totally satisfied in terms of like the gap between formation, the video that dropped on Saturday and the halftime performance itself. You thought she did an amazing job of keeping that connected and and tight. Absolutely. Because I think that one of the goals is really to say, I think this is her homage to black lives matter, but it's interesting that she keeps having to say, First, remember that I'm black. And so she really does all of these very black things. So she goes for the most to invoke the black power movement is really to invoke one of the the periods in American civil rights history that makes white people the most nervous in a way that the civil rights movement never did because black power, these were folks who were actually saying, we are going to secede from this, from the union. We're going to divest from the state. We're going to create our own country. Um, And so black power talk makes people nervous. And she chooses to reestablish her blackness by invoking that history. So that is really bold, uh, really bold thing to do. And at the Super Bowl, no less. I mean, that's the audacity of it, is the locale. But, you know, but part of it, though, is really interesting because it's a reclaiming of history. So on the one hand, this is the 50th Super Bowl. But on the other hand, this is also the 50th anniversary of the start of the Black Power era. 1966 is really when Stokely Carmichael says to Martin Luther King and others, we're going to start saying Black Power. So it's this it's a critical kind of shift. And I think whether intentionally or not, she invokes that there is another history here that's really important. And so you're marking one 50th anniversary commemoration and she chooses to mark another and that's really important Mm. now and of course uh doing it in the bay area is no coincidence as well absolutely it's you know and so all the conspiracy theorists who've been like cam newton huey newton from the black (laughs) that that, that was me at at mhp by the way (laughs) yes 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 so you and i also heard other folks sort of like thinking of talking about this and so you know people have been like is cam newton huey newton all this um and, you know but and i and i i doubt that but i do think that there's a way that these histories have a way of looping back and, and a way of reminding us and so you know i do think we have to go with the spirit of that moment which seems to be beckoning us to not forget these radical um parts of our politics now, now you are a longtime beyonce watcher theorizer uh and, and of course fan of the music itself yeah. H- how do you explain Uh, This shift, and it does have to be marked as a shift. I mean, her music has always been tight, that the messages have been there in previous albums and songs and moments. But this is certainly a shift in a direction that's very forthright and decisive. How do you explain it, for example, to your students if they if they want to know why is Beyonce doing this now? 
Yeah, you know, my students and I, this is what we talked about today in part. And, you know, one of them said, well, just isn't this a gimmick? And so for folks who think that, I just think, well, like, this is a girl who released a song called 7-Eleven last year. And, and, and she wasn't talking about anything at all. And we were all very excited about it. So she doesn't actually need a gimmick. So I think that this shift is about the fact that she is heavily involved on social media. I think that really from the Beyonce album in 2013 forward, she tried to show us that she was really being responsive to these conversations and she's being shaped by them. So I like to think of her as a person who sees herself as a part of a social media ecosystem where where other people are sometimes irritated with the way she invokes her political messaging. I think that this is her way of saying, I see you, I hear you, I respect that. I'm willing to be pushed. I'm willing to grow in my art. I'm willing to consider that this makes me better. But also that she's giving a hat tip to young activists on the ground um, who are doing this work. And so I think the video is both a tribute to them and also a response that says that she sees herself as part of this community. She cares about what's happening and she wants to participate. And I love that. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought it was utterly brilliant. Uh, I'm sure you've also seen that there are people who in this social media ecosystem who self-describe themselves as as left or even black nationalists who have said that, oh, well, you know, look, berets at the halftime show. This is commodifying rebellion. This is radical chic. It's not really politics. It's not really threatening. I disagree with that profoundly, but I doubt I could articulate why that's wrong like you could. So I'm asking you the question, how do you respond to that pushback? Yeah, you know, it's a really narrow understanding of all of the things that black power can mean. So yes, Beyonce is a savvy businesswoman and certainly she's marketing and branding, but she's not commodifying a history in the ways that people are talking about. The fashion choices of the black power era and particularly of the Black Panther Party were very deliberate. And there's a way that in civil rights, both SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and the Black Panthers had these uniforms that were connected to their politics. And so there were a about these kind of sartorial choices or these fashion choices that said something political. Another thing to say about this is it's so interesting, right, that the very people who are talking about the relationship between Beyonce making her paper and connecting that to a black nationalist argument are some of the same people who on Black Friday every year tell black people to buy black. But all of a sudden, when there's a black woman who owns her business and makes her money from it, connects a capitalist ethos of keeping money to herself as a black woman business owner, there is no connection made because of the magnitude of the size of her business. And so I think that that's disingenuous. I think that this is really people on the left who think that they have a legit critique and who perhaps don't like Beyonce, but have not worked out that there's nothing uniquely egregious about her capitalism that could not be applied to any other artist who is at her same level. And, and there's, and I think I, I, you, you sort of said this without saying it explicitly, but there's a, a sexist underpinning yeah. to calling Beyonce out for this particular critique Absolutely. as well. It's totally sexist. So there is a way that I've observed men on the left, both white and black, deploying this kind of critique of class as a way to suggest that they're more radical and a way, as a way to discount really important artistic and political labor and even um, literary labor by black women and by women of color. And so they want to discount it. And that is rooted in sexism and not understanding the ways that this video and this song does all of this work to elevate the labor, political labor of black women. And so they don't want to deal with the sexism question. So they 
move to this sort of critique of class and capitalism that allows them to retain some notion of radicalism without being accountable for their misogyny. Mm. And, and the video formation, it speaks to people um, and connects with them uh, through race consciousness, gender consciousness, sexuality consciousness, that also speaks so strongly on the question of regional consciousness. Yes. And you mentioned being from northern Louisiana. What was it that you saw that, say, somebody who uh, is from New Jersey, for example, even a black woman from New Jersey may not have seen that you saw and you connected with because of the Southern connection? Well, I mean, of course, there's all of the imagery from New Orleans, and I'm not from New Orleans, but even the Spanish moss hanging from the plantation houses, all of that is part of a Louisiana cultural landscape. Also, though, the moment when she was like, I got hot sauce in my bag, swag, right? I got hot sauce in my bag, swag. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yes. I like that. (laughs) What made me laugh is over the the winter break, me and my friends were having a debate about who had the hottest hot sauce, like Louisiana or various places in the Caribbean. So I had a picture in my phone where I had gone into my parents' kitchen and lined up like the five different types of hot sauce that they just kept there for, for our use whenever we ate. And so I literally just tweeted out a picture of all those hot sauce bottles with the hashtag formation, right? So that's a very deep south gulf south sensibility and when um big frida is in the song saying i like my collard greens and cornbread Mm. i mean that's the food i grew up on you Mm. know so every kind of southern sensibility she really invokes it there There, there's so many indelible images in the formation video is there one where when someone says to you formation it's the first image that pops into your head it's it's two clips back to back that I that I really resonate with me and it's um the it's the little boy dancing in front of the police car I mean the police um, line formation and then it's the immediate movement to all these black girls in the parking lot of the SWAT meet with their afros getting in formation I just I love it I think that it is a testament both to the ways that black communities resist and that what we're trying to fight for that all these black women need to get in formation because what we are fighting for is a world in which a little black boy can move his body in all these erratic joyful fun ways and not be killed for it Mm. you you and i both know that that young people uh can be cynical and i know you taught the video uh today uh, c- can you share with us the reaction of your students? It was interesting. It was very gendered. And so the black women students were really here for the video. They were like, this is awesome. We love it. We love everything she's doing. Black men were more ambivalent. Some thought it was gimmicky. Some just told me they didn't get it. Others, it led to a conversation about what is the responsibility of artists and entertainers to communities? Do they have the responsibility to be political? And can we trust the kind of political offerings that they give us because of their levels of wealth and power? So are they always already just being gimmicky? And what I tried to say to my students about that, because they were in some ways more ambivalent, where I I really am not ambivalent about this video um, and this song. And I just said to them, you know, 
what your movement has done is it is forcing these artists to be responsive and political in a way that they weren't even three years ago, even five years ago. And so you should see that as an achievement that you have created a movement that is forcing hip hop to find its political roots and its political self again. And I think that that's something worth celebrating and worth marking and taking seriously. Thank you so much, Dr. Cooper. I really do appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Woo, that was Professor Crunk, Brittany Cooper. Uh, we'll be back right after this. A quick word to all the freelancers and small business owners out there from FreshBooks. Folks, I don't take advertisers who I don't believe in, and FreshBooks has helped me out a lot. So I can vouch for this. For a better way to manage your books and make tax season easy, try FreshBooks, a cloud accounting software designed exclusively for service-based small business owners. It's the personal accountant you've always needed right in your pocket. FreshBooks is fast. You can create and send an invoice in 30 seconds. It's easy for customers to pay online. And FreshBooks clients get paid five days faster on average. Have a question about this thing? Just contact their award-winning support team and get help from real live humans. They answer every call in about three rings. From landscapers to web designers to freelancers like me, your time is better spent actually doing your work than trying to figure out your taxes and your forms and all the rest of it. FreshBooks does all that kind of heavy lifting, and believe me when I tell you, it makes a huge difference. Right now, FreshBooks is offering my listeners 30 days of unrestricted use, totally free, and you don't need a credit card to sign up. Just go to FreshBooks.com slash edge and enter edge in the how you heard about us section. That's FreshBooks.com slash edge and enter the promo code edge. So now I'm going to do a segment we do every week here on the Edge of Sports podcast where I uh, do a column read from something I wrote for The Nation magazine. You could look at the full column, find it in the description for this podcast. And what I do is I sort of read the column, but I also get a little extemporaneous and make comments and the like. So it's not exactly what I wrote, but people can go follow along at the link if you like. This week, of course, it's my impressions of the Super Bowl. And the title, it kind of tips my hand when I thought about the whole thing. It's called Super Bowl. 50 brought to you by toe fungus so super bowl 50 was damn near unwatchable and that's not necessarily new for the super bowl yet this year there was not even the saving grace of inventive ads designed to make us sit up in our seats if you were from another planet and judged earth solely on the basis of these super bowl advertisements you'd be forgiven for thinking that we are a place of heterosexual breeders who somehow find people to have unprotected sex with, despite our toe fungus, irritable bowel syndrome, or opioid constipation. As much as $5 million was spent for every 30 seconds of commerce, with Big Pharma ubiquitous in its presence. Their ads had such an unrelenting scatological tone that my Twitter feed was filled with references to the pooper bowl or the super bowel. Second to the parade of prescription drugs were the NFL ads celebrating the children who were born nine months after the Super Bowl throughout the years. It wasn't endearing. It wasn't cute. It was creepy. Even the night's highlight, Beyonce's performance of her fierce new single, Formation, felt like it was cut way too short because the halftime concert organizers clearly needed more time for Coldplay. 
The British band was such an awkward choice for the halftime festivities that they brought in Beyonce and Bruno Mars to save the day, and the two certainly tried. They slayed. But Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, kept poking his head between the two performers like a human cold shower. Far more importantly, Queen Bee's background dancers gave us the image of the night, holding up a photo that read, Justice for Mario Woods, remembering the young man who died in a hail of gunfire at the hands of San Francisco police. It demonstrated that the Black Berets and X-Formations of Beyonce's set were not just radical chic, but represented a depth, substance, and concrete links to a movement and a call for justice. It does, however, speak volumes that the highlight of the evening was a photo posted on Instagram. The lowlight was seeing Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton, the NFL's MVP, get humbled by a historically great Denver Broncos defense. It reminded me of legendary New York Times sports writer Robert Libsite's description of seeing Muhammad Ali toy with Floyd Patterson and it resembling the act of pulling the wings off a butterfly piecemeal. For people who had fallen for Cam, the night was difficult to endure. According to ESPN's stats department, Cam was pressured on 42.9% of his dropbacks, the highest percentage in a game of his career. After the game, Cam walked out of his press conference after three minutes, which has already led to a new round of dim-witted, starch-headed takes about his faults as a leader. Cam Newton is not a bad leader. Cam Newton is a human being, although a human being that clearly a great many people, after his epic season, wanted to see brought low. Meanwhile, as Cam Newton was pilloried, 39-year-old Denver Broncos quarterback Peyton Manning was glorified. Despite the fact that he also played a wretched game by any statistical measure, despite the fact that he is being investigated by the NFL for using human growth hormones, and to be clear, I don't give a what any of these athletes put in their bodies to play the most violent sport on earth, but regardless of that, he was lionized in the aftermath as the ultimate role model. Meanwhile, former player Bill Romanowski called Cam Newton boy on Twitter. It was that kind of a night. Unless you're somehow connected to the city of Denver or a big fan of absolutely god-awful offensive line play, it was difficult to endure. The ugliness of it all turned damn near satirical when Peyton, in what may be his last game, took time after the contest to kiss his business partner, John Schnatter, the owner of Papa John's Pizza, on the cheek, and then name-dropped Budweiser on national television. Even with his entire family looking on, even in the afterglow of what was perhaps his last time on a football field, Peyton somehow still found time to shill. It was uncomfortable and even nauseating to witness. It was also completely in tune with the environment. This is the NFL, a warped moral universe where Peyton is a hero, Cam is a villain, we all cuss each other out on social media, and the guys in the back room count the money laughing at the rubes. They say the NFL is family, but maybe Commissioner Roger Goodell's marketeers are making a cheeky organized crime reference, since this is not a family worth claiming as your own. And now the Just Stand Up Award. Normally, this is the part of the show where we give props to somebody for standing up in the world of sports. Well, guess what? In honor of how down I feel about the way that Cam Newton is being treated, I'm doing a Just Sit Down Award, and the Just Sit Down Award this week goes to Rob Lowe. And I'm calling out Rob Lowe for sending this tweet out 
right after the game, right after Cam Newton walked out of his press conference after three minutes of answering questions, three minutes of having to hear Broncos player Chris Harris in an adjacent room shouting out all sorts of braggadocio about how they shut him down. That sound was pounding through the walls. Nobody's reporting on that. And after three minutes, Cam just left. So here's what Rob Lowe tweeted. He wrote, wow, what a press conference from Cam Newton. So gracious, so classy, so humble. What an example to kids, just like Peyton. Hashtag dab, hashtag Super Bowl. Rob Lowe, be quiet. Cam Newton is 26 years old. As a 26-year-old, he's not only won the NFL MVP, he has taken a woebegone Carolina Panthers franchise and turned them from an NFL laughingstock that was putting their future in the hands of Jimmy Clausen into a team that only lost one game all year before the Super Bowl contest. This is who Cam Newton is. He's a hero to millions of kids, and at age 26, he is a leader of adults. Now let's talk about who you were at 26. You were hanging out with Judd Nelson, doing God knows what, getting arrested for statutory rape at the 1988 Democratic National Convention, and generally being the kind of privileged jackass who makes people curl up their fingers and toes when you walk by. You're not half the person Cam Newton was when you were 26. You're not half the person he is now, and now you're like 152. But even though nobody other than some really hardcore St. Elmo's Fire fans care what you have to say, I challenge you. Come on, Edge of Sports. Make the case that Cam is not a good role model. Please, let's debate that. You versus me. Make the case that your friend Peyton Manning is a better role model. Please do that. Rob Lowe versus Dave Zirin. Let's take it on. I would love to do that. I'll make you feel more blue than that time you were in a movie called Oxford Blues. Yeah, I know your CV. I know you were in Oxford Blues. But guess what? It's only me who knows that because no one saw that damn movie. Let's make a transition now from Rob Lowe to Noam Chomsky. Thank you, Noam Chomsky. Your appearance made this one of the most listened to sports podcasts in the world. So for everybody out there, thank you so much for tuning in last week. Hope you enjoyed uh, Professor Kronk, Brittany Cooper. Hope you enjoyed Dominic Foxworth. They're both amazing. You can contact them over social media. Just look at the description for the show. Uh, Thanks to my producer, Dan Bloom. Thank you to everybody out there who's been supporting the show. You can subscribe to Edge of Sports on iTunes or Stitcher or the podcasting app of your choice, or you can visit us at edgesportspodcast.com. You can contact me, Dave Zirin, at edgesports at slate.com or always on Twitter at Edge of Sports. For everybody out there listening, we are out of here. Get in formation, folks. 2016, it's going to be that kind of year. Peace. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that when you cause all this conversation. Always stay gracious. Best revenge is your paper.